Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 5-21-2023, and we're continuing with our worship service. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Thought of the week. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We should know that this new change happened in Christ Jesus. The world continues with Jews and Gentiles and the long-standing distinctions, but in Christ, there is a new way. There is a contrast here because of the mighty work of God. This is something so new as to change the established order of things in a dramatic way. Don't you just love these contrasts? It's like a thought that comes with the results to you after a series of grueling tests. It tells you something, some really radical news. You grasp for air and hope. He then pauses and says, but there you are at your lowest point because the bad news could really be true, but then hope springs up like a geyser. All your attention is now focused on what follows. If it doesn't follow quickly enough, you lose patience and seek out the answer. Desperately, knowing that much of your future depends on those next words, there is no room for joking or playing or even bedside manners. You know what but means. And it's clear that it just may reverse all the dark gloom and provide living hope. Like water to a thirsty desert traveler, you lean forward, but it took off down the news until it refreshes your soul. Well, God took a hopeless situation and went beyond fixing it. He took it from a level of solution to our problems to his master plan for the ages. God could have just saved us, but that would be repairing what was broken. But God went so much further that it baffles our sense of fairness. Many in the Christian world cannot believe the things God has done in Christ. And we're only thinking in terms of problems and solutions. Instead, we have a rare look into the heart of God, with his great love and the incomparable riches of his grace. The only is from grace of God, really, that he gave us a new disposition of that we're in Christ. So there, like it says in Galatians, we are either Jews or Gentile or Greek. We are no longer considered the things that Adam, but now we're in Christ. So this is the new way of, of thinking. It's a new us. So this is what I'm getting from this this thought of the week here. Amen. <clears throat> uh, Christ Jesus, we were far away, but now we are near by the blood of Christ. So at this particular point, we have a prayer. Give us a word, uh, a prayer. Thank you, Dave. At this time, I'd like to ask for those 
that are in need of prayer? Well, Fred, I think you know the prayer requests that are on my heart, so I will let you go. All right, thank you. So if there are no requests, let us take this to the throne of grace. We're thankful, Heavenly Father, God of grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day and bringing us to this day and this moment of worship. We're grateful, Lord, for all your blessings as you have kept us throughout the week. And kept us, Lord, in your grace and your mercy and your love and kindness. We're grateful, Lord, for the word is true. Our church asking, Lord, continual blessings for our pastor, Pastor Doug, and his family, asking that you would continue to lead him as he continues to preach the word in season and out. Asking, Lord, that you watch over all its members. Uh, we're talking about all of its members and their families, that you will continually watch over and bless them, Lord. You know those that are sick, those that need solutions, Lord. We're asking you to have mercy on them and tend to their needs. Asking, Lord, that in particular, you watch over Kenny Sr., who is in the hospital. You know the situation. Um, asking at this moment that you would comfort him and give him comfort physically so that he has peace in his heart to accept whatever lies ahead, Lord, you know, and that you would give him mercy, Lord, asking for prayer also for his wife, Gail, my sister, and their entire family, their entire heaven family. Also asking for prayers for Mike and his family and his church, all its members, and that you know also the situation there. Would be remiss, Lord, if I didn't mention the book that our pastor has that's out there, the gospel according to Doug, Lord, that you would bless its readers, that you would, the God, the Holy Spirit, would impress on their hearts the importance of the matter of that book and that they would look at it objectively and it may go to the furtherance, Lord, the God. Asking, Lord, that there's so much going on. Uh, also, uh, Dad, uh, my father, and my brother Jeff, you know their needs also that you would watch over them. All these things, Lord, we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who paid the penalty for our sins. We are eternally grateful. In Christ's name, amen. 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 
Thank you, Fred, uh, and Dave as well. Thank you both for taking care of those uh, those things. We are moving forward. Galatians <clears throat> chapter 2 is where we are. I'm going to read the context so we can pick right up to where we are. Galatians 2, 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus also along. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running or had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, was led astray. So, interesting verses ahead of us, but this is where we are so so far in our notes. Hopefully you have notes and uh, you were able to follow along with me. We're in the second section of our notes, which is Galatians 2, 1, uh, 11 through 21, New Age Modus Operandi. And we're going to jump right in. That was our introduction. So where we are is in Galatians 2.12. We just finished B. I'll just relate that again. He used to eat with the Gentiles. While it may be your choice to eat with anyone you want, eating here is not only about literal consumption of food, but also about fellowship. And we brought forward some verses to help us understand that. 
today, and I will just say, today we don't have the same view of eating with someone. We may eat with someone who is at work with us, or who is a family member, or there's a lot of different, um, and we have no thought of fellowship. Although, eating is a matter of fellowship. To me, it is, still. It's, you sit down and you share a meal with someone, it is a matter of fellowship. And I don't think you, you want to do that with anybody. I think it matters who you sit and share fellowship with. But it doesn't quite have the same meaning today as it did in the early church. Because there was a lot of wind, winds of influence Judaism, Mosaic Law, who, who can you eat with, who can't you eat with. The Jews were not supposed to associate with the Gentiles, and the Gentiles treated the Jews in like manner, where they had a lot of, uh, you know, they fought back. They resented the way the Jews thought of them as unclean and uncircumcised and all the things that they called them names back and forth this went on so it's different it was a different culture back then in the first century so i'm just pointing that out so as we uh, look at these verses just remember in first corinthians 15 it says here, here it is evil companions corrupt good morals it does there's there's that verse so what is it saying it's saying that as you think about who is going to be a support in your quest to grow in grace you have to watch it you know you can't just associate with anybody i think we already know that this is common sense i don't think we need to spend more time on it i think we kind of know that already so let's keep going Point C. Remember, Peter was an esteemed leader. His example goes a long way in the mind of the Gentile believers. And as we discussed before, Antioch was the center of worship for Gentiles. If you wanted to say, well, what about the church in Jerusalem? Probably primarily Jews. But Antioch was the center of worship for the Gentile believers. And why do we say Gentile believers? Is not because we think that there's some big, big division as they did. Because we understand that in Christ there is no Jew, there is no Gentile. That's the reality. But people are coming to that reality. So they still see things in this Gentile Jewish construct. They don't, they haven't gotten past that. You know who did get past that? The Apostle Paul. How did he do it? He had a transformed mind. Stop being conformed to the patterns of this world. Those things, those distinctions, pattern are the pattern of this world. He got beyond that by understanding that those things don't matter in Christ. They have lost their power over him. So that, that was important to note. So... Um, he, he was, Peter was a leader in this. He, he was somebody of note. If Peter did it, then people would think that his, not only what he said was correct, but how he behaved was also correct. They would follow Peter. 
And Peter was, as I would say today, a celebrity. If you look, there are no celebrities in Christ, first of all. There are none. We're all one in Christ Jesus. There are no parts of the body that are more prestigious or uh, than others. There are some, some of those in the body who have leadership gifts, which they're for the body. <laughs> it's not against the body. It's not they, what they do and then us. or There's no them-us mentality. It's we're all one. But for people who are just coming into church, into the church as Gentile believers, who were very impressed with the Jews, they were very impressed. And uh, prior to this, Gentiles were barred from any sort of worship or function or fellowship with Jewish believers. That was out of the question. That was not even thought of. The, the separation that they had in their minds would prohibit them from even thinking about consorting with each other. So it goes a long way for Peter to behave this way. And he was, as I said, an esteemed leader. He, the, where was he esteemed as a leader? Jerusalem church, among the circumcision. People, a lot of the circumcision came out. Remember, even at Pentecost, or what happened? Well, they spoke in tongues. It was the, the gift that warned Israel of the impending destruction and that got their attention. And who, who, who was it there at Pentecost? Jews from all these different places. They had come to the Feast of Pentecost. And this is where Peter gained notoriety and respect among the circumcision, the Jews. How did he do it? Because he preached. He's, when they said, what is this? And Peter gave a long sermon. Well, at least we have some of it summarized for us. It says that day, 3,000 were, were converted. 3,000 when Peter gave that message. So when you think about, and who were those 3,000? They were 3,000 Jews. Wasn't the Gentiles. Peter had success. And he, had, he, had, he was esteemed among those who were Jews. Not esteemed as a Jew, but esteemed as one who was, was forging a new way for the Jews. And that new way was to believe that Jesus was the Christ, Son of God. So this is, these are things to note when it talks about he was an esteemed leader. Point D, we're moving forward. But when they arrived, and this is for certain men came from James to eat. Well, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but... but when they arrived, right, and I'm pointing that out in point D. When they arrived, who are they? These are the people who were familiar with James. They came from Jerusalem. That's where they were coming from. James was very prominent in the Jerusalem church. He was a leader. When they came, these are people who were Jews, and they were coming to Antioch. Antioch was the hot spot, of the spot of controversy. People were arguing about how the Gentiles should behave as those who were coming in, in Christ. All this was being hashed out. Even though God had already said what the way was, people still had to reconcile that in their own minds. But when they arrived, I'm thinking about that statement, 
was changed, which changed the whole demeanor of what was going on in Antioch. So I'm just asking the question here in point D, why is there so much deference given to religious people? Somehow people with these robes on and they're so pious, looking up at the sky often and, and you know, walking around with their hands folded and thinking that they're all people, you know, thinking they're always in prayer. And why is there so much respect given to them when they have proved that they are not thinking the thoughts of God? Jesus had a problem. Remember, it was religious people who put Jesus on the cross. These type, these religious Jews put P P uh, Jesus on the cross. They instigated him, his death. They had a contract out on Jesus. Even before that, he got to the cross. It wasn't just like one day they said, oh, there's Jesus. What's he doing? Oh, he's doing this. Let's arrest him. No, they had planned to arrest him. And they said, we got a contract. Anybody who sees him, report back to us so we can, we can find out where he is. We can arrest him and we can kill him. He's got to die. That's what they said. That's why no matter what, even when Pilate came out and says, I don't find any problem with this man. They said, that, kill him. We want him dead. Crucify him. Doesn't matter. We want him dead. So... And point D, these people, when they arrived, these religious people, these Jews, these, they were from the circumcision. When we say the circumcision group, obviously Jews. And even, look, they were respected, right? So it's almost like the Jews were first class, Gentiles were second class. So the Jews thought, for some reason, that they had the authority in the church. And yeah, we might let Gentiles in, but they better do what we tell them to do, or else, you know, we're, we're not going to we're not going to abide with them. We're not going to allow them in our fellowship if they don't listen to the things that we tell them to do. So it's like second-class citizens in the church. All of this was wrong. There was no Mosaic law to appeal to because we're not under the Mosaic law. Well, those Jews who came from Antioch, uh, came to Antioch, when Peter saw them coming, he knew that they didn't follow that. Peter was teaching some modified version, even though he understood better. He understood, but when it came to the Jews, he was afraid to teach grace and the new way, which is we're not under the Mosaic law. So now we can know that why they didn't, why the church was slow to adopt this new dispensation. It's because they would not let go of the previous one. And we're talking the leadership here. So if Peter knew better, but he was afraid, he was afraid because those Jewish tendencies, culture, traditions, they, they held sway in Peter as well. All the Jews, they were raised with the Mosaic Law. So I'm not 
excusing them. I'm only saying, because look at the Apostle Paul. <laughs> so was he. And he was a Pharisee, as Saul. And he was able to get past it. So I'm, it was wrong what Peter did. It was, we're not making excuses for what Peter did. It was wrong. Paul said, I had to uh, look him in the face and tell him exactly that he was wrong. In front of all of them. That made the difference. And not only that, we're, we're reading about this because God the Holy Spirit thought it necessary to include in the canon of Scripture. So that's point D. I'm just saying, why is there so much deference given to religion? Why do we think that we are beholden or somehow that they have the authority or something? They don't. They don't. And if we have any deference to them, stop having deference to religious people. They are the ones who are conformed to the patterns of this world, culture. All of what was happening in them was created in darkness. This is the light. Now, if, even when we talk about the Jews, and I could talk about their culture was infused with divine thought and miracles, signs and wonders that God established, the feast days, all the different, he did. Except for the fact that we got to say that the, gen, that the Jews did not follow what God had prescribed. They rejected the way of salvation, believed the big lie, which is the fact that they thought that they could be righteous before God by the works of the law. It was wrong. So why do we give deference to those religious people? Why? The, the deference we give to, that, to those religious people is how much we take away from God, the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ, and the new dispensation. You yield to them, you are also taking that away from the new dispensation. That's point D. What did Jesus call them? He rebuked them. I'm going to turn to Matthew 23, 13 and following. I'll read some of it. If you think we ought to have some respect for the religious people that don't honor God and grace and the new age and all that. This is what Christ said to them. 13. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Wow, what an, what an indictment. Wow, hypocrites. He says you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And they don't want to, you won't let them go in and you won't go in yourself. That's really bad. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Remember, Saul was one of these people. He was a Pharisee. You hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. Who's writing these words? This is... This is Jesus speaking. 
Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. Oh, man, you mean they were into prosperity gospel too? Yes, they were. Even before prosperity, the prosperity gospel became uh, famous, they were involved in it. They were stealing money. 2317, you blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the, t or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, it's bound by that oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the, or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, if anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Verse 23, 23, I'm skipping. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mill, dent, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's talking about those people who are under the law. They misuse the law. We're talking to Pharisees here. Jesus is critiquing the highest religious order of Pharisees, teachers of the law. He's able to look at what they're doing and see that it's clearly wrong. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat, but swallow a camel. They major on the minors and minor on the majors. I could go on, but I think you got the point. Uh, more what Jesus had to say. Notice Jesus was pretty brash when it came to this. He wasn't scared of them at all. John 8, 39, listen to what this he says here. Abraham is our father, they answered. This is what they said to Jesus. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are not doing the works of your father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself, Jesus said to them. If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from, from God. I've come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow. I, there's much more that could be said you can kind of see why they wanted Jesus dead. You, you know why? Because he stood up to them. He told them the truth. He used the word of God to correct and rebuke them. So that's what happened when they arrived. That's what happened. <clears throat> Point E, we're moving forward in our notes. So they began to draw back. Once they arrived, what happens? They backed up. Peter should have been leaning forward to strengthen them, that is, the Gentiles, to help them understand. 
they weren't under the law. There was no rules of fellowshipping with Gentiles. All of that was off the table. But instead, he displayed the same false Jewish superiority that they all knew very well. They, they were raised with that Jewish superiority. And, and Gentiles were inferior. And remember, this was part of the big lie that they could be righteous by observing the law. And why would somebody who's righteous consort with those who are unrighteous, Gentiles, sinners, dogs, uncircumcised dogs, they used to call them. Why would they consort with them at all? Because that was built into their culture. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. Just as your forefathers did, so do you. They resisted the call of God. And the Gentiles were the mission field of God. As I brought forward a couple of weeks ago, Nineveh and Jonah was just a little bit about how they thought about it. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to them. <laughs> Jonah said, no way will I go there. In fact, that's the last place I would go. Jonah went the opposite direction. And he didn't like it when the Gentiles repented because God was going to destroy Nineveh. But God knew that there were people there that wanted to hear the truth. So God sent Jonah. Jonah hated it. He didn't want to go. Even when they did change his mind, he says, see, that's why I didn't want to go, because I knew they was going to repent, and you weren't going to destroy them. I knew it. Jonah had a lot to learn. So the Jews rejected their calling. They rejected God. They, so we can't look at them as ex shining examples of what the law was, especially if Jesus came along and he talked to them as the way he did. You are of your father, the devil. <laughs> Those are fighting words, man. Those are tough words. And Jesus stood up to the highest religious authority on earth and said those things. It tells you, we should, if anything, we cannot respect the, the religious systems in this world. I'm not telling you to go out running around saying they're the devil. You're not Jesus. But you need to understand that you don't get your authority from them. They don't wield the authority for us. We need to understand that and make sure that, because otherwise we're going to fall into the same fear that Peter. Look them in the eye. Look them in their face. Tell them they're wrong. That's what Jesus did. Well, obviously he was crucified, but then... He says, in this world, you're going to suffer. It's okay. We understand that, that people are going to disagree. All right, point, point F. Peter did not show leadership here. He knew what was right. Now, when I say he knew what was right, I'm going to look at Acts 10.28. Let's look at it. Acts 10.28 says, he said to them, you are, all, you are well aware, this is what Peter understood. Now, this whole thing about the sheet, right, and all of that. Um, and then he went to Cornelius' house, right? And you know the whole story. 
in Acts, right? And if you don't, you know, there was a sheet let down and all these four, these beasts were on the sea. Uh, and then and then God said to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter was like, no way. So this happened three times. Eventually, God was sending a person from Cornelius' house. They met Peter outside. They went over to Cornelius' house. And these people fell down before Peter. Listen to this. He said to them, this is, <clears throat> he found a large gathering of people. And this is Acts 10, 27. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit or associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone pure, impure or unclean. So he knew better. He understood this. God has shown him this. How did he get this message? Because he understood the vision where God had that vision with all the animals unclean. And how did Peter understand that? Did he go and eat unclean animals? I mean, even though God is relaxing Remember, the Mosaic Law is no longer in force. God has to let people know. How did he do it? How, there's how he, he did it. But he didn't start with their dietary restrictions, even though that was so. He started with the bigger problem of Jews and Gentiles coming together in one body. That's what Peter said. He says, he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with, or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And then they're relating it. But you know, at some point, they respected Peter so much. The Gentiles did. And the Gentiles knew that Peter shouldn't have come to their house. They knew the rules. Peter was like, no, our rules, and those rules are wrong, first of all. How, God wasn't telling Jews to be exclusive, don't associate. How would they give him the gospel? Jonah would have never been able to go to Nineveh. Or Jesus would have never went to Samaria, or, or on and on. It was wrong what they were thinking about their, in their laws. They interpreted the laws incorrectly because they didn't have the Spirit to guide them. They rejected the Spirit. So that's the thought here. There's three thoughts about this. <clears throat> One, this is point F in our notes. Peter's example taught the Gentile beliefs that they were second-class members. That's what his example taught them. Once he saw them withdraw, and he was a leader, he understood, but he's saying, here's how we should interpret the law. I can't associate with you. Even though the Gentiles, he had no problem eating with the Gentiles before the circumcision group came. They saw weakness in Peter. That's what they saw. And Peter saw, he knew that those people who were coming saw the Gentiles as second-class citizens, and Peter was afraid of them. And he gave in to them. I like what Paul said earlier in Galatians. We didn't give in to them for a moment. Not a moment. He said, no way. With their theology come and alter the way we treat people, especially in the church. Point two, <clears throat> Peter's failure reinforced the Jewish believers' false assumptions that the Mosaic law was still to be honored in the new dispensation. 
All of these points you got to remember because they're, you got to think about them today. If you cave into fear around people, your example is being noted. Trust me. Your example is being noted. Peter's example, and he was a leader. Just remember, his example is much bigger than any of us. And this was the inception, the beginning of the church. The direction could have been altered by Peter's actions because he was a leader. <clears throat> his failure reinforced the Jewish believers' false assumptions that the Mosaic Law was still to be honored in the new dispensation. And it is not. We are not aspiring to obey the Mosaic Law. That's not what we're working on in the church. We have a new age. This is why we talk about the mystery, new information, new age of the spirit, the, the body of Christ, new creation, the new transformation of our thought with all of this new information that God has given us. None of it was revealed to Israel. So we got a new age. Who's in the new age? It's a new body. Who, from who? Jews and Gentiles together in one body. Jews aren't over the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are not over the Jews. So it put people back to those cultural distinctions that they knew about. Instead of rising above cultural distinctions, they succumb to it by fear. Point number three, Paul's reproof and correction sets the record straight. And the spirit of truth documents this for the church's posterity. Hopefully you understand that because we have it in writing. Now, people don't even admit today. The early church, the church today won't admit what the issue was. They sort of gloss over it. They don't talk about this new dispensation. In fact, they even talk that dispensations are not valid. That God is the same as it was. We're just an extension of Israel. We, we're, maybe some of the laws have, we can't do it because we just can't do it. Because we're not a nation. But we got to adopt the ones we can adopt. Because, you know, that's, but here is the, where the rubber hit the road right here. We are not under the Mosaic Law at all as a way of life. And if you persist to want to be under the Mosaic Law and you're a believer, then you are not following the Father's purposes. And if you persist in that behavior in your life, there will not be rewards for you at the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer and you believe, it's dangerous because you could believe the big lie and think that your righteousness comes from your works, not from the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So it sets the record straight. Galatians is the book that does it. Yeah, there are other books. But this book tells us that the way of life for us is not the Mosaic Law. Don't even look at it. Your life was not born from the Mosaic Law. Now, it's not to say there won't be any similarities between the, our way of life and the way of life that God had for them. It won't, it's not to say there won't be any similarities, but our purpose is different from Israel's purpose. 
in some ways, we overlap in that we are ambassadors for Christ. We go out and give the gospel. If somebody in the world wants to know what the gospel is, and they ask you, where should we go? What are you going to tell them? To Israel? To the to the religious organization that rule Israel? No, no, you would not tell them that. You would tell them to go to the church. Because we are the ones who now have the gospel. As far as they are concerned, Paul says they are enemies on your account. As far as the election is concerned, they are beloved on account of the patriarchs, the promises that God made to establish the nation Israel made him to those patriarchs, and he will not go back on his word. Israel has a future, as we already have talked about many times. So this is document for us. This help people understand this documentation that's in the Galatians, that we have this new age that we're in. <laughs> the law has nothing to do with it, nothing. Point G. Point G, he was afraid. He was afraid. Peter displayed this fear in his denials of Jesus. This isn't the first time Peter was afraid. If you go to John 18, let's look at it. John 18 and verses 15 through 18. Let's look at a couple of these things here. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Now, this is after Jesus left the upper room, went to the Garden of Gethsemane, got arrested, brought into the, the house of uh, the high priest, all this in the courtyard. This is what was happening. <clears throat> so Peter was there. People were warming themselves. Peter was kind of listening in to see if he, what was going on with Jesus. He was following, right? He says uh, it was known to the high priest. So John knew the high priest, so he got in. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty, and there brought Peter in. Right, so John kind of got, he was able to get in because he, he had connections. He got Peter in, and this is what was asked of Peter right away. You aren't one of of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Remember, they just saw Jesus arrested, abused, you know, roughed up and, and taken to the high priest. And he was being questioned by them. And this is what this one girl says to Peter. You, you, aren't, you, aren't you one of them, his man's disciples? And fear rocked Peter and he says I am not he wanted to remain incognito remember before he had made all these grandiose statements I will never leave you I don't care if they all leave you I won't leave you I will lay down my life for you I'll die for you remember Peter is the one who pulled out his sword and whacked the um, Malchus's ear off. Remember, you know, I don't have to tell you the story. You know it all. Peter had that thought, but now he was afraid. He ran, and this is what happened. So, so then, this was. Uh, let's let's keep going. Eighteen through. Why question me? Ask those who. Wait a minute. Am I reading? Yeah, here. So, so seventeen. You aren't one of. 
though you, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And then if you look at 25 through 27, meanwhile, Simon Peter was still warming himself. Um, They're warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of those disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. So three times, Peter did not want to identify with the person of Christ. He did not, even though Peter understood what was going on, he was afraid. He was afraid and he gave in to the fear. He says, I am not. I'm not going to stand with Christ. So just think about it. This isn't the first time Peter was afraid. And remember, if you continue to read the Gospels, you will see that after this third denial, Peter heard the, the rooster crow. And when he remembered what Jesus said, he says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you even know me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly, it says. So we know Peter has some trouble. He he, he couldn't, his mouth got him in trouble many times. He overspoke many times, as we already talked about last week, where people said, well, who do you, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. But when Christ began to explain some of the things that he must go through, Peter says, that shall never happen to you. Uh, And Peter rebuked Christ for saying that he was going to die. Because that wasn't his understanding. Instead of him listening and learning and understanding the will of God, he rejected it. His mouth got him into trouble. So point H, point H. Love conquers fear. First John 4, 8, it does. Love conquers fear. Let's look at First John 4, 8. And why do we say it this way? First <clears throat> John 4, Eight says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed us, showed his love among us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us. So this love that we have for God It's not just, oh, I just am devoted to God, but it's the love of the Father's plan. So in 18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So think about this for a second for yourself. What is love? It's our commitment, our devotion, our dedication to the Father's plan. It comes with some maturity. 
right? Because you got to know the Father's plan in order to choose to commit yourself or dedicate yourself to it. Just like Christ said of the Father, I love the Father and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me, to be obedient towards it, even in the face of circumstances that could be antagonistic. Your love for what the Father is doing goes beyond the fear of what man may do to us. I love it when the disciples were brought in and they were flogged. And they they were, after that, they brought them out and they said, what are we going to do with these men? They released them, but they told them. They said, listen, we're going to release you. After we we beat you with cat and nine tails, stripped your back of the skin that was on it. I mean, whipped you. And they said, we're going to let you go, but you don't go out here talking about this Jesus anymore. They said to them, we would rather obey God than you. Your authority does not dictate to us what we do when it comes to our Lord. They were people who were sold out to the Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Holy Spirit was in them, saying those things through them, using their presence in the world to lift up God the Father's plan. And they said, doesn't matter what suffering we have to go through. Doesn't, that doesn't matter to us. What matters is our love and devotion to the plan. And we'll die if we have to. If this is what God calls us to do. But one thing he has called us to be witnesses on his behalf in this world. So you're, you could see why your commitment, devotion drives out fear. That's love. You won't have fear if love is in you. Why was the disciples saying when, I remember when Jesus, uh, when he had some trouble in Bethany and Lazarus was sick and he said, we're, when, when he finally said, let's go, he said, they, the disciples said, well, they were trying to kill you there. Don't you know? Why would you go back there to die? So this thought that was driving Jesus was not whether or not they were after him. It was to fulfill the will of God for his life. It didn't matter about his safety. To the disciples, it made a lot of sense that we shouldn't go back there. But Jesus didn't consider that at all. He was just following the Father's plan. He knew that he was going to be able to raise Lazarus from the dead. He waited until Lazarus died. So none of this made any sense to the disciples. Because Jesus was walking by faith. He was walking according to what he knew to be accurate. So we're going to have to quit. I know, let's just think about this last thought. Love is commitment, obedience, and devotion to the Father's plan. And this last thought was in John 21, 15 through 17, where Jesus did ask three times. And I don't know if that three times had to do with something 
if you relate it. Well, he denied him three times. And Jesus asks, do you love me three times? In John 21, 15 through 17. Peter, do you love me more than these? And when he said more than these, he was looking at all the fish that Peter caught. Remember, they were fishing all night, caught nothing. Then Jesus shows up and tells them what to do and abundance of fish. At the beginning of their ministry, they saw that miracle and they saw it at the end when Jesus was about ready to be to ascend to the Father. So Jesus says, do you love me, Peter, more than these? The fish making a living in this world, all that. Peter says, Lord, you know I do. But then he asks him a second time, do you, do you love me, Peter? So we'll cover that. We'll start with that next week. And we'll continue with the thought of what caused Peter's fear and his poor example of leadership. What caused his failure? We'll talk more about it next week as we're right in the middle of it, but we're out of time. So let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had opportunity to discuss Peter and the Apostle Paul and how they both set the stage so that we now have the documentation for this new age. Without it, we may be vacillating back and forth, not sure how to handle the, the revelation to Israel, how to put it in its proper perspective, and how to rightly divide the word of truth. Thank you for this clarity, for this understanding. We pray that all of us who are under sound of my voice will take the time to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We thank you for the information that is there for our posterity and for those who will come after us and understand these things in the same way we have. We thank you for your spirit who is on the ground and attends all of us, even from the inside. Thank you for your provision. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.